Psalm 128 reads as follows. A song of degrees. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labour of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labour of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. It shall be well. This song of degrees, this psalm is a very positive psalm. In contrast to many others, contrast to some of the ones preceding it on this journey up towards Zion, we read nothing in this psalm of the Lord's enemies, nothing of their trials, nothing of their persecution on the way, nothing of the warfare that they experience between the flesh and the spirit, between the enemies of God and his people. The entire view is taken up with the blessing of God upon his own, with the blessing that God bestows upon his people through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an immensely positive psalm. It stands as a pool of light in the darkness of this world. There's no mention, in a sense, of any of the darkness around, though that is patently obvious, that that is outside. But here the view is of that which is of God in the light, that which comes of God to his people, his blessing upon them. This is a view to be seen by faith. One cannot enter into this psalm or its blessings or its experience except God opens the eyes. By nature, all we see is the darkness here below. All we see is sin and its consequences. All we see are the enemies of God and all we hear are their voices raging. But here in this psalm, all we see is the light of God set forth in his blessings through that man that fears the Lord. In the earliest songs of degrees or songs of ascent, the view was much more centred upon the trials below and on our enemies within and without and on being delivered from them on the cry unto God to be delivered from them. But as we progress on this journey and come closer to the final songs of degrees, 
the view becomes increasingly taken up with Zion, with that which is above, and with the blessings that come down from God upon his people and his church, and its unity. By the time you come to the final Psalms, like Psalm 133, we read, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 134, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord, the Lord that made heavens and earth, bless the out of Zion. The view gets lifted up. But at the beginning of the journey, the view is much more upon the trials, the difficulties of the way and upon the enemies of God's people. And if you consider the actual journey that the Israelites would have taken up towards Jerusalem, up towards Zion, up towards the temple, when they left their towns and villages in the distance, Zion was simply something on the horizon. They looked across to it, and in between was everything on the way the towns, the villages, the countryside through which they journeyed. So the view is quite low. And spiritually the view is set low at the beginning. And we see the obstacles in the way. The view is clouded by what is between us and Zion, the here and the now. But when the traveller reaches the foothills of the city and begins to climb up to the city, the view becomes increasingly elevated The traveller looks up, he looks upwards and he sees the city and he sees the temple and he sees the sky above it. And so it is with the psalmist here, so it is with these songs of degrees. As we come to the end we look up and in this psalm, Psalm 128, we're looking up to that man who fears the Lord. And and we see the blessing of God coming down upon him and upon his people in him. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labour of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Who is this that fears the Lord? Who truly fears the Lord and walks in his ways? None do fully, but those who are in Christ, and they only do because of Christ, who is their righteousness. There is no man of himself who fears God. There is no man of himself who walks in God's ways. Even the believer continues to have the flesh and continues to turn like a sheep to the left hand and the right hand. He stumbles and he falls, he doubts and he fears, he falls into sin. He's increasingly aware of the conflict within, the flesh warring against the spirit such that the things he would do he cannot do and the things he would not do that he does. He loathes himself 
And though there is that which is sown in his heart, though there is that which is born within of God, the Spirit which loves God and wants to serve him, which loves God and fears him and walks in his ways, yet he is that new man of grace within, that new birth within, is surrounded by flesh, is surrounded by an old nature of sin which pulls him down. So even the believer cannot be said in himself to truly fear the Lord and truly walk in all his ways. But the believer is seen in his Saviour, in Christ. And in God's eyes, every one that is in his Son is perfect, is righteous, is holy, is separated unto him, is sanctified and set apart unto God. God looks upon his own in his Son, and every one in Christ fears God and walks in his ways. Every one in Christ shall see the labour of their hands, of their hands, of his hands. And happy shall they be, and it shall be well with them. For the view here in speaking of those that fear the Lord truly is of those chosen in Christ, one with Christ. The view is of Christ. He's the man that fears the Lord. He's the man that walks in his ways. He's the man that shall see the labour of his hands. He's the man who shall be happy all his days. His wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of his house. His children shall be like olive plants round about his table. He's the one who is blessed. And all his people looking unto him are blessed in him. The man here is Christ. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord and that walketh in his ways. Oh, what blessing there is if we know Christ and his salvation. If God has opened our eyes and given us faith to look and to see him, to see him for who he is, to know him, to behold him, to see what he has done to deliver us from our sin, to see what he has done out of love for his people, to see the man, the man that fears the Lord, that feared the Lord, and that walked in all his ways. When Christ came into this world, when he was born of Mary, when he grew as a child, serving as a carpenter, in Joseph's household, when he grew up and went forth to preach the word of God, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, when he went about in his ministry, healing the sick, making the blind to see, making the deaf to hear and the lame to walk, when he taught as no man taught, when he spake as no man spake, Throughout, his was a life of faith, a life 
of complete union with his Father, a life in which he feared the Lord. He honoured him in all things. He walked before him. He walked in his ways. He gave up all his own will, as it were, all his own gain. He did everything sacrificially, unselfishly for his Father. He walked in the Lord's ways. He feared God. He did everything for others. He did everything for his people. He gave up heaven's glory to be made a man, made a little lower than the angels, to come into this world as amongst sinners in the darkness, to be rejected by all men, you and I included, to be despised and cast out, to be spat upon and rebuked, to have all men turn against him. He came into this world to suffer because he feared the Lord and walked in his ways. He suffered because he feared the Lord and walked in his ways. Those who love the darkness hate the light. We as sinners despise and hate God and all his ways. We hate the light when it comes amongst us because it exposes us. We hate to hear of God and his ways. We hate to hear of Christ and his righteousness because it exposes us. Why do we turn from the gospel? Why do we reject it by nature? Why do we mock it? Why do we pour scorn on it? Because the gospel comes to where we are and exposes us as we are. It comes and sets forth the righteousness and the holiness of God, the purity of God. And we who love the darkness feel exposed by it. We feel condemned by it. We know it's true and we recoil from it. We want to run back into the darkness. We want this light to be turned off, to go away. Like those who sit in a dark room and someone comes in shining a bright light in their eyes. We turn their, our faces from it. We don't want it there. But Christ came as the light in the darkness. As one that feared the Lord and walked in his ways. As the only one that feared God and walked in his ways. And because he did, he brought light to those in darkness. He brought hope to the hopeless. He brought salvation to those who are lost. He brought blessing to those who have nothing. He brought hope to those who are dead. He brought righteousness to those who know nothing but sin. Through the labour of his hands, he brought life to the dead. He came walking in God's ways. Living by faith, he trusted his God, he believed, he loved God, he was righteous in all his ways and he looked past all the outward circumstances though men reviled him. 
He knew the end from the beginning. Though all men turned against him, he knew that his way would bring salvation for a multitude. Though his own rejected him, though those whom he came to save hated him, though all men despised him, he knew that in spite of all the circumstances and all the appearance, even though they cried out to crucify him, this very act would bring about their salvation. The culmination of men's hatred of Christ and hatred of God and his gospel was to take his son and crucify him, was to put him to death, to silence him forever, and to bring an end to this gospel, bring an end to this God, put him away so that we might never have to hear him or see him again. This will silence him. But what they did to silence him brought about their salvation. What God's people did in piercing the Son of God, the Prince of Life, brought about their own salvation. It brought about the judgment of their sin, the putting away of their sin, and the manifestation of the righteousness of God. For when Christ took their sins upon him, when he bore those sins as he was nailed to the cross and entered the darkness, when God poured out his wrath upon those sins, he took them away. And through that act, through that death, through that crucifixion, Christ delivered his people from all their sin and all their enemies in order that God might bless them with a blessing which is everlasting, eternal, unmeasurable, with a love that cannot be quenched, with a love that cannot be measured. All the blessings of this psalm come because Christ laid down his life. For his own. We took him. We rejected him. We spat upon him. We nailed him to a tree. We said away with this man. Crucify him. But through that death. God delivered. His people. From their sins. And through the labour of his hands. Those hands that were nailed to the tree those hands that touched sinners, touched their eyes and made them to see, those hands that touched the ears of the deaf and made them hear, those hands that took the little children that came under him and blessed them, through those hands that touched the sick and the lame, the blind and the deaf, the dead and made them to live, Through those hands, mighty works were wrought. It says in Mark chapter 6, verse 2, When people heard of Christ and saw what he did, they spake of the mighty works which were wrought by his hands. They saw him, they heard him, they saw what he did. 
but mightier works were wrought by those hands than what they saw. It wasn't just the physical healing of the blind, the deaf, the lame. Those hands, when they were nailed to the tree, when they felt the outpouring of God's wrath against sin, were stretched out for the salvation of his people. Those hands which laboured upon the cross in agony, those hands which laboured as the faith of Christ was tested, as he hung and looked up to his Father and cried out in the darkness, as he hung there and felt the pain of his body hanging upon his hands which were pierced, those hands lifted up under heaven were stretched out to heal his own. When he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those hands laboured by faith to save every one whose sins he bore. Every one whose sins pierced those hands and his feet and his side. Was it your sins that nailed him to the tree? Was it your hatred of Christ that fixed him to the stake? Was it your rejection of the gospel your rejection of the truth, your rejection of God that put him there. Thou shalt see the labour of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. What labour this is, the work of faith, the laying down of his life for his people. We saw earlier in the psalm how he feared God and walked in his ways. His feet walked, he journeyed to that cross. He walked to the cross, he would not be turned from it. His face was set like a flint towards Jerusalem all his days. That's where he was going. His feet took him there and then he was nailed to the tree. And those hands which had touched and healed so many were stretched out to heal a multitude through the shedding of his blood. Oh, what blessing came through the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Have you felt the touch of his hands in the gospel? Believer, have you felt Christ taking you as a little child? Suffer the little children to come unto me. Has God brought you as a child, brought down low, brought down to know you're nothing? Brought down to know you're small before God. You have no strength, you have no wisdom, you have no ability. You're like a child. You're in need. Has God brought you like a child under his son? And has he touched you with his blood-soaked hands and taken you up and wrapped them around you with his love and said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Happy shalt thou be it shall be well with thee. For I have blotted out all thy sins and all thy transgressions. The wrath of God shall never demand judgment from you again. I've paid the price in total. 
and all there is now is the righteousness of God poured out upon you. There is no sin. I've taken it away. It's gone. There is no judgment. It's been quenched. There is nothing but my love for thee. Nothing but righteousness, nothing but everlasting life. Has he taken you up as a child and taken you into his arms and brought you into his everlasting kingdom? This is the view of the psalmist. The psalmist comes as one of those children taken up by Christ, taken up in his arms, who knew in him that it shall be well. No matter what the circumstances of this world may be, no matter what trials may come our way, no matter what difficulties, no matter how unfairly our enemies may rise up against him, they hated Christ without a cause and they will hate his people without a cause. But no matter what comes our way, if we're in Christ, this is the only view that matters. All the sin, all the judgment, all our enemies have been dealt with. We're in Christ. We're in the one that fears the Lord and walks in his ways, whose hands have saved us. It shall be well. It shall be well today. It shall be well tomorrow, believer. It shall be well the rest of thy days. It shall be well for eternity. For Christ has finished the work. He's made an end of transgression. He's blotted out every sin. He's brought in righteousness. He's manifested the righteousness of God and manifested the love of God for his own. It shall be well. The psalmist goes on, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children, like olive plants, round about thy table. Here we see Christ united with his wife and the children which are brought forth in his household. Here we see the church in all her glory. His wife, the bride of Christ, the church, she whom he gave his life for, she who in him is without spot or blemish, washed from head to toe in his blood, made to live forever. How Eve was taken out of Adam's side at the beginning, the first woman taken out of the man's side whilst he slept and brought forth before him when he awoke and he saw her and he loved her. And how fruitful she was, the mother of all. A picture of the church, the bride of Christ, who was taken out of his side as he slept in death. As he went into the darkness, the church was poured forth out of his side, pictured by the blood and the water which came forth when his side was pierced. That blood that washed her clean, that water of the Spirit of God which brings everlasting life, which quickens dead sinners to life. Here the bride comes forth from her husband as he slept upon the cross. And how fruitful she is. How fruitful the church is, the bride of Christ. She shall bring forth children. 
and they shall be like olive plants round about thy table. She's fruitful because the gospel's fruitful, because Christ is fruitful, because his gospel is the power of God unto salvation, because he died, life shall come. There shall be fruit. God's work will multiply. She shall be as a fruitful vine by the side of thine house. Oh, what treasures there are in just this one verse. This vine by the side of the house, the bride, the children like olive plants round about the table. Christ said in John 15 that he is the vine and ye are the branches he spake unto his own that in him they are as a fruitful vine. They're one with him. They're the branches of his vine. He's the one from whence the life comes forth, but the life pours forth into them and causes them to grow and to be fruitful. They are his wife wed to him as a vine, a fruitful vine, by the side of the house. We see this union of the vine with the picture of the church, the house of God. Wherever the house of God is, wherever God's people are gathered, wherever God raises up his gospel and preaches his gospel by the power of his spirit, whenever Christ speaks from on high and sends forth the gospel through his servants, through his church, that gospel brings forth fruit. That church, the bride, the church, brings forth fruit, brings forth children. There's blessing. It cannot be any other way because the gospel declares the work of God and all that God has done in Christ will come forth. Everyone for whom he died will hear the gospel and will be saved. It's inconceivable that anything else could be. It cannot Everyone for whom he died will hear. God will send the gospel. He will send it forth in power. He will add to the church daily such as should be saved. And that church, that bride, shall be as a fruitful vine, which brings forth children like olive plants round about the table. Like olive plants. Why olive plants? Because the olive throughout the scriptures is constantly pictured as that plant, that precious plant, which brings forth precious ointment through the crushing of the fruit. That ointment that they used to anoint the priests. That ointment which pictures the outpouring of the Spirit of God and his power upon his own. Christ constantly went up to the Mount of Olives to pray under his God. He went up high to that mount, to that place where there were olive plants, olive trees, which spake of this, this anointing, this precious ointment of the olive, which spake of the crushing of the olive plant, the fruit. Christ's gaze was never far away from where he was headed. 
He knew that the day would come when he, the vine, the tree of life, the one of whom the olive was a picture, would be crushed. He knew the day approached when he would be taken and slain and would be crushed for his people as the olives were crushed underfoot. He knew the day would come when through his being crushed life would come forth for his own. When his side would be pierced and blood and water would pour forth. When that water, a picture of the Spirit of God, would come forth and anoint his people and be poured out upon them. As it was poured out upon the priesthoods, as the anointing of the olive oil was poured onto the head of the priests, so his blood must be shed and so the Spirit must come forth as he's crushed, as it were, to bring forth the oil to pour down upon his people. Oh, what it took for Christ to take his children's sin away. He was crushed as the olives. The oil came forth. The oil which was poured out upon the priest's head. It came forth from Christ himself to be poured upon his people, uniting them as one in him. This picture of the oil is seen in Psalm 133 as we approach the end of the Songs of Degrees when David speaks of the unity of his people. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. God commands the blessing to his own from Zion. And that blessing comes when the olive is crushed and the oil is poured forth and poured forth upon the priest and poured forth upon all his people in him. Christ is the head of his church and we are his members. The oil is poured out upon him as he's crushed and it's poured down upon us. That's what unites us. That's what brings the blessing. And that is what God commanded out of Zion, even life forevermore. Why are the children like olive plants? Because each and every one is a picture of that which they are in Christ, as olives, amongst whom he went. When he went, as it were, and prayed in the Mount of Olives, he prayed, as it were, surrounded by his children, spiritually pictured, surrounded by those for whom he came to suffer. He went to that Mount of Olives. He went up, as it were, with these olive children, these children all around about him, looking up under heaven, praying under his Father, entering into his Father's presence by faith. He comes surrounded by them, knowing that he must be crushed in order that they should be one and anointed with him by the crushing of the olive.
Thy children are like olive plants round about thy table. Not only does he come amongst his children in a mount of olives, but he comes with them to a table and they're gathered around about his table. On a night when Jesus was betrayed, he sat at a table with his disciples. He knew what was coming. That night, those hours when he'd be in the Mount of Olives, those hours when he'd be in the Garden of Gethsemane, those hours when he'd be taken to the cross, those hours when he sat at a table with his own and spake of that which was to come upon him. He sat at a table and his disciples, his children, sat at the table with him. That table at which he broke bread and gave wine and spake of the New Testament in his blood and his body which is broken for sinners. He sat with them and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave them to eat and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take, eat. And he took the wine and said, this is the blood of my New Testament which is shed for you. Drink ye all of it. This is his table around which his children sit. Forever they see the blessing of God as they sit at his table and behold their Saviour crucified for them. This blessing comes at a price. The blessings of God which he gives freely to us, undeserving sinners who are chosen by grace, brought under the sound of the gospel, quickened by God's Spirit, given faith to believe that we had once hated him. These blessings which he gives unto us came at a price. Christ's blood was shed. His body was broken. He was bruised. He was crucified. He was crushed as an olive. But we sit constantly, now and in eternity, as it were around his table, beholding the Saviour crucified for us, beholding the blood, beholding the wine, beholding the body, beholding the bread. We see in him all our salvation. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Our blessing comes this way. It could come no other way. God cannot bless the sinner. He cannot forgive us our sins. He cannot justify us. He cannot bring us into heaven's glory except our sins be taken away, except they be judged, except they be answered. We will either pay for them in eternity ourselves if we know not Christ, we will either enter into eternal darkness if we reject him and reject his gospel and turn from him, or if by his grace he calls us and leads us unto his Son, then our blessing will come through a Son offered up for us, through a Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This blessing comes through the gospel and the gospel alone, the work of Christ alone, 
the faith of Christ alone, his death and his resurrection alone. He died that his people might live. O oh, dead sinner, do you need life? Where are you looking for life? Where are you looking for peace? Where are you looking for happiness? In Christ, his people shall be happy. It shall be well with them forever. Outside of Christ, there is no happiness. There is nothing but torment and destruction. No matter what this world may promise, no matter how things may appear here for a moment, soon this world is gone and eternity awaits. But in Christ, there is nothing but life and glory, nothing but blessing, nothing but righteousness, nothing but the love of God made known in him forevermore. The Lord shall bless the outer Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. What a view there is in this psalm. How positive. How uplifting. This is Zion. That city, that house built by God. Pictured by Zion, by Jerusalem below but a picture of that which is eternal and everlasting to come. As we saw in the last psalm, Psalm 127, where we read, Except the Lord build the house, they labour in vain that build it. As we saw there, David had wanted to build a house for the Lord. He'd wanted to build a place upon this earth where the people of God could come and worship God. He wanted to build the temple. But God would not have David build that temple. He told David because of his transgressions that he would have his son build it. God would have David's son Solomon build the house. So it was David's son who built it. And that King Solomon, that son, was a son who wished for wisdom and God granted him Wisdom. He was a wise king like none has ever been. He was known for his wisdom, unlike any other man's. It is that wise king, that man of wisdom, David's son, who built the earthly temple. But that king, that son, that man of wisdom was simply a picture of David's greater son. And when God said to David that thy son will build the temple, he was speaking through Solomon, through David, of that greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come. That man, that son, that king, that personification of wisdom, Christ himself, that son builds the house. He's the temple. He's Zion. He's Jerusalem, and all that dwell therein in him are found in him. He's the one who builds the house. Oh, what a king he is. What a son 
What wisdom there is in Christ. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. Because Christ builds the house, because he gave up his life, because the temple was brought down and he rebuilt it in three days, because he builds the house, he builds it to perfection. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. Thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. This will come to pass and nothing will prevail against it. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. God will build his church and the gates of Hades cannot prevail against it. He is saving his own. He is preaching his gospel. Christ has finished the work and God is sending forth that gospel from on high today to the four corners of the earth to gather in all his people and all who are gathered into that that city, all who are gathered into that house, all who are gathered into that temple, all who are gathered into Jerusalem, into Zion, shall see its prosperity all the days of thy life. Oh, how powerful the gospel is. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. Oh, the blessing that comes. The children shall go forth with the gospel. You will see thy children's children. Those who are begat by the gospel will declare the gospel and they will bring forth children. The gospel continues through the generations and ages, even down to us and even to the end of the world. It continues to be preached. It will bring forth all whom whom God has chosen to be saved will hear and will be brought unto life. It's powerful, it's effective, it cannot be stopped. Thou shalt see thy children's children. Christ shall see the travail of his soul. Every one for whom he laid down his life will hear and will be saved and will be brought in. No matter how difficult the day we live in may appear to be, no matter how Satan may seem to prevail against God's kingdom, no matter how sin may multiply in the world, no matter how great the enemies of God may seem to appear, God is building his house, Christ is preaching his gospel and everyone for whom he suffered will and is being saved. And the consequence of that is the peace which comes upon Israel, peace which was purchased, peace which was brought in by the faith of Christ, peace which his blood bought. There cannot be but peace in his kingdom. Yes, the enemies gather all around it, but they're conquered, they're destroyed, and it is but a moment until God divides the darkness from the light, heaven from the earth, his kingdom from all that is around, the sheep from the goats. For all that are in Christ, all that are locked in that ark, all who are brought safely through the tempest and the storms of judgment, all who are in him, there is nothing but blessed. It shall be well with thee, O believer. No matter what circumstances you may be facing today, no matter what may come upon you in this coming week, month, year, or the rest of your life, no matter how 
hard the way may appear to be, no matter how hated you may feel, no matter what the trials, no matter how puzzling the circumstances, it shall be well with thee. Satan cannot touch you. The enemies of God cannot touch you. Christ has done it all. He's finished the work. We're one in him. And his wife shall be a fruitful vine. His children shall be olive plants round about his table. The man that fears the Lord shall be blessed. We will be blessed in Christ. The Lord will bless us out of Zion. We will see the good of Jerusalem all our days. We will see our children's children and we will see peace upon Israel. Oh, may God give you, may God give us grace to look up beyond what we can see with a natural eye, to look by faith unto Christ, to see him crucified for us, to see him his table, to see the bread and the wine, to see the blessing out of Zion. Oh, may we know in our hearts with a certainty that it shall be well with thee. Amen.